One, and good morning to all who are watching on uh, Facebook Live or who will watch, uh, those of you who will listen on uh, uh, Podbean or iTunes, and I want to welcome you as well. You're very much a part of what we are doing here. You know, folks, you who are here this morning, there are people, and uh, sometimes their first experience with our church, as I mentioned last, uh, I think, two weeks ago, is right through this camera. And because they can, right? They can, they can see, well, do I, do I, is this the kind of church that I'm interested in? And they can look on our website, they can listen to a sermon or two online, and they can get a feel before they even step in the doors. That's the 21st century. So you're, you're doing outreach just through this camera, which again, cost, did cost money, probably around a thousand dollars. We've been using it for a couple of years now. Um, but that's, that's, that's an amazing uh, way to reach people. So I want to just welcome everybody. And this is a new sermon series that we're going to be doing right up until Christmas Eve called The Cast of Christmas. The Cast of Christmas. You're going to find in the little cup holder in front of you a... Um, um, what do you call a schedule for what we're going to be doing this month, okay? Because uh, Sunday mornings as usual, but Christmas Eve, we are going to be over at Le Studio on uh, Tashro Boulevard. Many of you have been there before and nice little place and we can, we can fit probably a hundred people in there if we had that many and it's a good space and they have all the stuff there, all the audio visual and lighting is already there. And we're gonna do Christmas Eve there uh, on December the 24th, and we have a guest, uh, uh, couple, musicians, and uh, speaker for that night. So you're really going to enjoy that night. Of course, we're going to sing some Christmas carols together, and it's a, just a super nice atmosphere on uh, Christmas Eve, all right? But we're talking about Christmas, maybe in a way uh, today that, and this month that you might not, you might not have thought about before. Uh, more and more churches, I think, are recognizing that uh, it's, it's really helpful to get people to think about Christmas before December the 25th. Um, you know, the, the marketing knows how to do that, right? How many of you know when, when the Christmas season rolls around, you know, re, it, here in Canada, it's right after Halloween, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, the stores are filled with Christmas stuff. And then you've got sale after sale after sale, right? So you have, um, now we have Black Friday in, in Canada. Then we have Cyber Monday. Uh, I've seen pre-Black Friday sales. So pre-Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, post-Cyber Monday. Some of you got a, a text from me this week about Giving Tuesday, that's a lot of charities are doing that now on the Tuesday after uh, uh, Cyber Monday is Giving Tuesday. And then, you know, you start moving toward Christmas and the malls are full. And, you know, this place is absolutely uh, a bedlam in terms of parking. The Quartier d'Istrante here, which is the second biggest mall in, in Canada now. And it's just, you can't get around. And then you have the, the big day, December the 25th. And then you have what? Boxing Day, then you have New Year's, and it's sale after sale after sale. I mean, it's as if everybody has money. How come everybody does except me? Do you, do you ever wonder that? <laughs> you ever look around and say, my goodness, you know, Christmas is more than December the 25th. Well, churches are starting to recognize uh, the tradition of Advent. And this is the idea of understanding the coming of Christ. 
And it's a kind of a, a season almost. It's the four Sundays before uh, before Christmas, where churches try and slow the pace of life down. They try and recognize and understand what Christmas really is all about. Um, and so this is what we're doing this month, this, this uh, cast of Christmas. This is an Advent series. So today we're going to talk about the prophets, all right? And when it comes to the prophets, and when I speak of prophets, I'm talking about the prophets in the Bible. I'll explain this in a few minutes. But they, they are very helpful because they teach us about preparation. And that's the theme for this morning, preparation. You may have discovered in life, as you have surveyed your own life, that most of your life is spent preparing. Have you ever realized that? You know, you, let's say you go on vacation. Most people, they prepare and prepare and prepare for weeks on end sometimes, depending on where they're going. And then they go for a vacation. Their vacation may last like seven days. But it took them, you know, 70 days to prepare for a seven-day vacation. Think about a, a wedding, for example. How, mu- how long do you spend preparing for a wedding? I mean, I can do a meaningful wedding in under 20 minutes. That's the fastest wedding I ever did. I did it in 18 minutes. And the people came to me afterwards. They said, Pastor, that was an amazing wedding. It was short. It was sweet. Nobody fell asleep. You got right to the point, And it was, it was, it was done. And I think the couple's still together, believe it or not, right? But you spend so long (laughs) preparing, and then the event happens, and it's like, where did it go? Well, most of life, when you survey life, you're preparing, preparing, preparing. You know, you're going to have family over for Christmas. You're going to cook, and you're going to prepare, and you're going to buy gifts. I mean, you spend hours and hours and hours doing this, and then it's over, like you snap your finger, and it's over. And then, of course, you get depressed, and then you get credit card bills, right? So the prophets are really good in that they teach us almost like a discipline of preparation, preparation, all right? But before we get into that, I want to do something really, really fun with you. Uh, I do this every couple of years in the Christmas season, and our church is three plus years old, and there's new families who are here. So uh, the, even the families who have been here for three years, you're probably, you're probably going to enjoy this as well. Our, our picture of Christmas, all right? I want you to say the word Christmas in your head and just close your eyes and think of what Christmas is. Uh, some of you, you know, you just thought of um, family, and, you know, uh, happiness, joy, presence. And some of you you, you, you went over a little more on the spiritual side of things. And you thought about Jesus. And you thought about the birth of Jesus. And when we think about the birth of Jesus, wow, we have a very vivid image that is in our mind. And it's been reinforced over and over and over again. As if to say, this is Christmas. It is the birth of of Jesus. So what do I mean by this? Let me show you a few pictures, okay, seeing as we're in a movie theater. This is from the 1959 movie Ben-Hur. Any of you seen this movie? I can't tell who's raising their hands and who isn't. Okay, this is one of the absolute best movies about uh, 
Christianity that Hollywood has ever made, okay? It's still amazing to watch even today and that now there's an updated version that they made a couple of years ago. It is an incredible piece of art, this film. Uh, but anyway, this is, the, this is the nativity scene out of Ben-Hur from 1959. You see Charlton Heston there, and I forget who played, uh, uh, is that Charlton Heston? No, that's not Charlton Heston. It can't be. Well, anyway, whoever it is, you see that's, that's the, the, the couple that's getting ready for, uh, the, you know, the birth of Jesus. And they're in what looks like a barn there. And uh, I think you can actually see Jesus there. I can't even see from the clip. It's so old. But that's Ben-Hur 1965, okay? And then I found another one. Uh, that was, sorry, that was 1959. The Greatest Story Ever Told with Max von Sydow. Any of you seen this one? Wow, and no, no movie, no Christmas movie, Jesus movie buffs here? I watch them all, okay? So 1965, the greatest story ever told with Max von Sydow. And there you have the birth of Jesus. You have the wise man. You have the, the Mary and Joseph. You have Jesus over there. Then I found another one. This is, a, this is a fun movie. It's called The Nativity Story. Any of you ever seen this one? from 2006, okay? And uh, the, you have the birth of Jesus, you have Mary, you have Joseph, you have the wise men, you have the, the gifts there. And then there's a, a new one for kids that came out a couple of years ago called The Star. It's an animated movie with all kinds of, uh, you know, musical artists and stuff in it. And you, you know, you get a nice little serene picture there. And uh, I was researching online and I even found this one. This is a, a nativity scene out of a, a town in Delaware, uh, um, in the U.S. and it was actually banned over there because they say it's a safety risk. <laughs> Maybe some of the, you know, the baby Jesus might blow over in the wind and hit somebody or hit a car or whatever. So they actually banned this nativity scene in uh, this little town in, in Delaware in the United States. But when we think of Christmas, pow! That's the image that we have. It's the birth of Jesus. And uh, we, we, we have this picture in our head. It's been reinforced in our minds over and over again by popular culture and movies and television and so on. So I figured what I would do with you is I'd do a little quiz with you. This is the Christmas quiz. And there is a prize. I have two Advent calendars from the chocolate store Lint in my possession. Any of you know Lint chocolate? Okay, well, I've got two Advent calendars. An Advent calendar, you take each day of December up to Christmas, and you open a little thing, and you get, it gives you a piece of chocolate. So you get to have, you know, eight pieces of chocolate today because we're December the 8th. If you win the quiz, um, and we, what we're going to do is you have those guest cards in front of you. You probably got a pencil on your way in. You should have been given one. If you do not have something to write with and you want to participate, put your hand up in the air and Jackie is going to give you a pencil, okay, so that you can participate in this quiz. How many of you, you like multiple choice? Remember multiple choice in school? Right? A, B, C, D. So really, really easy. You don't have to write anything except on the back of that card, you're going to put your name, okay? Just your first name would be good and maybe the initial of your last name in case there's people with two of the same first names. So you're going to put your name there and you're going to write the answers to the question and we're going to collect them on the fly here. We're going to see if anybody gets all nine right. You get all nine right, then at the end of the service, I'm going to give you the answers and just just a few moments, and then you will get your lint chocolate. 
okay? But I, um, I'm, I don't bet because it's, you know, I shouldn't be betting. I'm a pastor, I guess. But I, if I were a betting man, I don't think one person is going to win today. If you're on Facebook and you want to participate, you just use the comment section and you can, you can send us the answers as well, okay? Are you ready? You got that picture, picture in your head of Christmas, all right? So question number one. All you have to do is write the number and the letter, okay? For the journey to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, A, walked. B, Joseph walked, but Mary rode a donkey. C, they rode a bus. D, who knows? Okay? Next question. When Mary became pregnant, A, Joseph married her, B, Joseph wanted to dissolve their relationship, C, Mary left Nazareth for a while, D, an angel told them to go to Bethlehem, E, both B and C, okay, and F, both B and D. You see it on the screen, you're okay. I'm not telling you until the end. I'm not telling you until the end. All right, are you ready? I'm going to switch to the next one. You ready? I'll give you another. Okay, question number three. I don't believe anybody's going to get all nine right, but we'll see. I've got two calendars. In faith, I believe that maybe two people would get it right. Okay, we'll see. Question number three. Who directed Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem? Was it A, Herod, B, an angel, C, Caesar, or D, the Canada Revenue Agency? You will get the answers at the end. Don't shout out the answers. Okay? All right. You ready? Question number four. There's nine questions. Question number four. What song did the angels sing? A, O Little Town of Bethlehem. B, Joy to the World. C, Glory to God in the highest, or D, none of the above. Okay, I hear people saying C, I'm giving the answers at the end. Hey, you can shout out whatever you want, but I'm giving the answers at the end. Ready for number five? Ready or not, here we come. Number five, the baby Jesus was born in an A, cave, B, manger, C, hurry, D, barn, or E, who knows? A cave, a manger, a hurry, a barn, or who knows? Okay? All you have to do is put the number in the letter next to it so that it can be read, all right? Question number six. What animals were present at Jesus' birth? Cows, sheep, and camels. That's A. Cows, sheep, and donkeys, that's B. C, <laughs> lion, and tigers, and bears. It's probably not C. Okay. And D, none of the above. I shouldn't give any hints, okay? So you have A, B, C, and D there. I don't believe anybody's going to get all nine right, but hey, I could be wrong. Question number seven, who saw the star over Bethlehem? Was it A, Mary and Joseph, B, the shepherds, C, the three kings, 
D, both B and C, or E, none of the above. Who saw the star over Bethlehem? You're going in your head. You're thinking, what was that? I can't remember. You want to check your Bible? I don't mind. It's okay. But I'm, I'm moving quickly, okay? Question number eight. What did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? Was it A, I have a stable out back. B, come back after the holidays. C, there's no room in the inn. D, both A and C. Or E, none of the above. Okay, and now finally, the big one, question number nine. When the wise men brought their gifts to Jesus, they found him in A, a manger, B, a house, C, vacation Bible school, or D, none of the above. All right? So now we have all nine questions answered. So before you start checking and opening up your Bibles, Diana, where are you? Okay, everybody, you're going to hand your cards into Diana. She is going to collect them right away. So you don't start looking in your Bibles and changing your answers, okay? And anybody who gets all nine right, you can go ahead and stand, Diana. Anyone who gets all nine right, you are going to win at the end. You'll see the answers at the end in just a few minutes. So what you need to learn for today in terms of preparation what we can learn from the Old Testament prophets. You say, prophets, what in the world is that? Like you guys believe in hocus pocus? Well, a prophet in the Bible did two things. They, they spoke on behalf of God. So they proclaimed things. This is what the Lord says. This is the most of what they did. So God is telling you to do this. And most of it was directed toward uh, Old Testament Israel. Old Testament Israel, you need to do what God tells you to do. He gave you this law to, 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 to uh, obey. And this is, this is what you need to do. And it's a constant reminder to them. They were like the preachers of the day. This is what God says. This is is what your law says. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to live. They also not only proclaimed, but they, they predicted things. And they would, they would say, if you don't do such and such that God wants you to do, then such and such bad thing is going to come your way. There's going to be consequences for your actions. And the prophet claimed to be able to see what those consequences would be. They also envisioned a time when a king, a ruler, a, a messiah, a savior would come. They envision this, they see this, and you see them write about this kind of like a thread throughout the Old Testament. You see this theme of a coming deliverer. Um, and, and there's all kinds of pictures of what that deliverer will be like and where he comes from and his lineage and his life and all these kinds of things, all right? And so what you have to understand is the image that you have in your head about Christmas that comes from all those Hollywood movies and all those beautiful Christmas cards that we have. We have some nice cards on the table that you can take. They're, they're free. We have a nice little book uh, on the table that you can take on your way out as well. Just want to remind you of that. Uh, but all those things, pretty as they are and serene as they are, 
when you actually read the Gospels about the birth of Jesus, in particular Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, those are going to give you the, the story of the birth of Jesus. Wow, you're not going to see the same thing as you see on those cards. I mean, you, you've got some really awkward stuff going on there. It's kind of a dark story. It's a violent story. I mean, when you've got a king who's slaughtering little babies and you've got Jesus on the run, a refugee with his parents and, you know, you've got all kinds of things that are going on there. This, this young woman is pregnant out of wedlock, like embarrassing. It's got some really, really bizarre facets to it. It's not all pretty and serene like the gorgeous Christmas cards and these scenes from movies. And what you need to understand when we talk about preparation, what the prophets teach us is that Christmas began before Christmas. These people saw something and got excited about something way, way, way before it happened. I mean, we celebrate Christmas today as if Christmas has always been celebrated. I mean, the first three centuries of church history, no one celebrated Christmas. Christmas only started to be celebrated. The birth of Jesus was, the celebration began and an acknowledgement of the birth of Jesus on an annual basis began in like the third century, way after Jesus was born. And there's a, there's a history to that that you can look up on your own. I don't want to bore you with the details. But if you talk to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter and the apostles and the people in the book of Acts, and you went up to them and you said, Merry Christmas, they'd say, what are you talking about? Uh, they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus right away, but the birth of Jesus wasn't celebrated on an annual basis until three centuries later. Um, so, so, but the prophets, they were thinking about the coming of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah way before Christmas. And so you can say Christmas actually began way before Christmas. So Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. This is way, way, way back. This is after the fall of humanity, okay? And God is speaking to this, this serpent figure, whoever or whatever he is. There's lots of questions about that. And he's speaking to this couple, Adam and Eve, specifically to Eve. And this is what he says here. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking to that serpent figure and speaking to that first woman, Eve. Between your offspring and her offspring, or in some translations her seed, he, speaking to the serpent about something that will come, he will crush your head. So there is one coming who is going to crush the head of the serpent. We find out later in the Bible that that serpent figure is also identified as the devil himself or Satan. He will crush your head. There is one coming from the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. But you will strike his heel as a serpent strikes the heel of its victim. And many, many people see this as the first rough, it's very rough, but the first prediction of the death of Jesus on the cross. So there's a fatal wound dealt to Jesus, but he is risen from the dead, hence the, he will, you will strike his heel. But the wound that is dealt to the forces of darkness on the cross is a permanent one. He will crush your head. 
We call this in theology the proto-evangelium, fancy word. First prediction, rough prediction about the coming of Christ and his work on the cross. What does Peter say way into the New Testament? Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, he talks about these prophets and what these prophets saw. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke with the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest of care trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were serving themselves, uh, not serving themselves, but you rather, when they spoke of these things that have been told to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the spirit sent from heaven. Even angels, Peter says, long to look into these things and you now know these things. These are the things that the prophets saw. Christmas began, began way, way, way before Christmas and, and uh, preparation, when you talk about that theme from the prophets, it starts with a change of mind or a change of heart. We have a word that we use for this, it's called repentance. So the advent of Christ, right, the idea that Christ has come. If we really do believe that, that is probably going to cause a change of mind or a change of heart. And repentance is referring to that that thing that takes place in the heart or mind of man when they start to see their life and their sin in particular in a different way. So the unrepentant person continues living their own life and they're the God and they're the king of their life and they're sort of on the throne of their own life and they do what they want and they have their own setup, they have their own beliefs, they have their own moral code, they have their own, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's other people's way and then there's my way. And this, you know, that's the unrepentant person. If they, if they have sin in their life, well, they don't have an issue with that. That's the way that they live their life and no one's going to tell them that there's any sin in their life or that they have any moral problem because they're kind of the God of their life. And that's the person who's in the unrepentant state. When that person runs into Jesus, there should be, if they're really preparing and they're really open and they really want to experience God, there should be repentance. And repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart toward sin. It means the sin that I used to enjoy, I no longer do. It no longer gives me fulfillment in life. It no longer gives me pleasure in life. It leaves me wanting for more. It leaves me unsatisfied. It leaves me grabbing for more. And my attitude towards sin is now moving toward disgust rather than contentment. I used to delight in sin, but now it's disgusting to me. And yet I cannot seem to stop it from taking over my life. So the repentant person, they say, you know, I see that there's this Jesus and I see that, that, that God is trying to speak to me and it causes a change of mind, a change of heart toward sin. John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, if you will, when he comes onto the scene, what's the first thing that comes out of his mouth? Repent, he says. 
Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Change your heart and change your mind toward your sin because the advent is now. Jesus is here. The Messiah that you've been waiting for is now on the scene. Preparation starts with a change of mind. That's repentance. But preparation increases with expectation. And that you can call faith. So if you're having someone over to your house for dinner for Christmas, you, you prepare, yes? And depending on who that person is that you're having over to your house, you prepare in a certain way. So if it's the in-laws who are coming over, you may prepare differently than if it's your own parents who are coming over. How many of you, you know that that's true? Okay, no, <laughs> sometimes we call the in-laws the outlaws. Have you ever heard that? The outlaws are coming? You never heard that before? Is it only me? Okay. So depending on who's coming over, sometimes you prepare differently. You may well prepare differently if, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau was coming over to your house for Christmas dinner. Just saying, you know, you may want to change the way that you, there may be an increase in expectation depending on who's coming over and the expectancy is high and so the preparation increases. Say, well, hold on a second here. This isn't just my brother coming over. This is, you know, this person over here. This is this, well, the prime minister is coming over. Or, you know, the, the, I have to prepare differently because who I'm expecting changes the way that I prepare. What if you were expecting God to show up? What if you're expecting him in your workplace tomorrow? What if you're expecting him in your school? What if you're expecting him to sit in your car with you, to take the bus with you? What if it was God who you were really expecting? You may change the way you prepare in order to meet him. And this you can call faith because faith, I mean, the person still has to show up. You may believe that Trudeau is coming over to your house and you prepare all in advance and you have a high expectation, but he's got to show up. You did all this work and all this preparation. Maybe he won't show. Well, you certainly believe that he will show. You've shown that by the way that you've prepared, you see. Well, what if it's Jesus himself? What if it's God himself who you are preparing for? Wow, that's going to increase because your expectation is, is the highest name, the name that's above every name that's named. So Habakkuk uh, chapter 2 verses 2 to 4, Old Testament prophet, he's complaining to God about the state of his nation. Uh, it's, in, it's, it's falling apart morally. He's angry at God and he complains to God. It's an amazing book. I did a series on it last year. I think it was last year or maybe earlier this year and he complains to God and God gives him an answer and he says write down the revelation make it plain on tablets so that a herald a messenger may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time so there's something coming Habakkuk that you need to understand and Habakkuk was angry because he, he complained to God and he said God all this stuff is happening in my in my nation it's immoral it's falling apart all these things are happening and God says okay I'm going to send the Babylonians to take it captive <laughs> kind of a weird solution there. And so he complains to, to God. He says, you're sending the Babylonians to bring justice to our land? Uh, the, these are un, ungodly people. These are violent people. And you're sending them over to our land. And he complains again to God. And he says, I'm going to teach you something, Habakkuk. He says, I've got a message for you. And it awaits an appointed time. Write it down. It speaks of the end. 
And it will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come, it will not delay. You see, the enemy is puffed up. And he's speaking about the Babylonians there. Saying, yes, Habakkuk, I'm using the Babylonians, but you've got to understand the bigger picture here. The enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faith. What he's doing there is he's predicting a time where people by faith in Jesus would be justified before God and forgiven of their sin. We see the statement repeated three, four times in the New Testament. The just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. This idea that when Christ comes, we place our faith in him and he justifies us before for God. So it's not only repentance, a change of mind, I'm now sick of my sin, but it's I place my faith in Christ because the just will live by his faith. Um, uh, James chapter 2 verses 14 to 19, James is arguing uh, with uh, his hearers there, probably the Jerusalem church, and he's talking about faith. And he's saying, you know, what good is it if someone claims to have faith and they have no deeds? Can faith like that save them? And he gives an illustration. He says, you've got a person without clothes, without daily food. And, and someone says, well, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. And they just say to the person, you know, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. But they do nothing to help the person. He says, what kind of faith is that? That's not faith. That's just lip service. You're not doing anything to actually demonstrate you have faith there. That's a dead faith. Even devils have a faith like that, he says. Even devils believe that God is real. And what do they do? They tremble. And he's really criticizing them and saying, you guys don't do anything. Uh, you've got these people here and you're, you're just saying to them, well, God bless you. Be warm and well fed. He says, no, a faith like that is a dead faith. So it, when you have an expectation, the preparation shows it. And that faith is evident by the way that you live. So number one, you get sick of your sin when you really, really want to encounter God, when you really believe that Jesus came, that there really is an advent, that he really did come. But number two, you place your faith in him and that faith becomes very, very visible. It's easily seen. You can tell, well, this person, they, they actually live what they say that they believe. And finally, preparation results in transformation. And that you can call fruit. So there's repentance, I'm sick of my sin, there's faith, I put my trust in Christ. And when that happens, there's a transformation that takes place in the human heart. And that you can call fruit, like fruit that you see in a store. It grows, it has a certain look to it. Fresh fruit is beautiful, it tastes wonderful, it smells delightful. And, and the, the image is used in the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit of God. So a person says, I, I, I'm sick of my sin. A person says, I put my faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, there's something new growing within them. And that is the life of God itself, the work of the Holy Spirit. 
Spirit himself begins to grow in the person's life, just like, a, just like fruit growing on a vine. So Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things start growing from the inside out when a person says, I'm sick of my sin. A, I put my faith in Christ. B, and a transformation starts to happen. Something new starts to grow. The person, in Jesus' words, is born again. And the Spirit of God comes alive in the person. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And the life of God begins to grow from within. And that creates a transformation. And that, my friends, is what preparation, just preparation, is all about that. So I wonder, uh, before we, we get into the answers to our quiz, if I can just have a private moment with you and a word of prayer with you, okay, before we, we finish with a little bit of fun today. Um, and if you want to, you, you know, if you're comfortable closing your eyes, that's fine. You don't have to. But I, I, I just want to have a moment with you before we continue. Um, God, I thank you today um, for Advent. And I thank you for Jesus who has come. And um, Lord, even, even here in this, in this moment that we have, um, speaking now to, to the audience here, I wonder if there's any of you who are here. And just before I pray... And you say, you know, you make it so simple uh, and, and I can relate. I am sick of my sin and I can see it ravaging and ripping my life apart from the inside out. And what used to satisfy me no longer does. Whatever I was into to try and fill that hole inside, it no longer satisfies. I have to reach for more and more and more. And then the high just goes, and then it goes again, and it goes again. And it's like I can't get out of it. It's like a vicious cycle, and it just, I can't, I, I just hate it now. And you relate to that. Can I just tell you, you can put your faith in Christ right now, even in this moment. If you are in that place of repentance, you are a, a ripe, ripe candidate for the work of God to begin in your life. So I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. And if that's you and you say, oh, I, I just want to place my faith in Christ and and just give myself over to him at this moment because nothing in my life has worked up to this very, very moment. I'm going to pray that prayer. You can pray it after me out loud if you choose or just in your own heart. If it's authentic, I'm telling you that God is going to hear you. Jesus, I come to you and Lord, I ask that you would take over my life and you would break the power of sin that has ravaged me. And Lord, that you would begin a transformation in my life. God, if you are there, I surrender to you now. Amen. 
you prayed that prayer, and I'm glad you kept the stream going. If you prayed that prayer, you prayed that prayer online. I want you to come and see me at the end. Those of you electronically, you know, you're just watching. You contact me, and we're going to keep the conversation going forward, okay? This is just the beginning of the most amazing thing that has just happened in your life if you just prayed that prayer. All right, so are you ready for the answers to the questions? Okay, two people. Are you ready for the answers to the questions? I mean, a Lint Advent calendar. So if I could have the house lights on, uh, uh, Abayomi, if you could, if you're in the room, turn them on. And do we, do we have uh, all of the cards collected? Do we have any winners? How many? No, don't say who it is, but how many cards are winners? Three. Wow, so three got it right. Three got all nine right. No, no, no. Who got all nine right? That's what I thought. Okay, I, I want to know who got all nine right, and uh, unfortunately, nobody did. Okay, but I'm going to give you the answers now real, real quick, and keep it going on Facebook so that they see it too. They're probably all shocked as well, okay? Uh, but it's very, very rare that people get nine on nine on this, okay? So question number one for the journey to Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph, it's who knows? We have no clue how they made that journey to Bethlehem. We assume that, you know, they walked or they took a donkey or whatever. The Bible says absolutely nothing about how they got there. Zippo. So we're left to, to guess. So the answer is, who knows? I don't know. Maybe we will give out prizes to the top two. Okay, Diana? Uh, question number two, when Mary became pregnant, it's both B and C. All right? So Joseph wanted to, to annul uh, the... Um, um, betrothal, which was almost like a marriage, a marriage legally, but they hadn't consummated their marriage yet. So Joseph wanted to do that, but Mary also left Nazareth to go and be with Elizabeth, okay? So it's both B and C for question number two, all right? Matthew and Luke, just read Matthew and Luke. Who directed Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem? No, it wasn't the CRA, it was Caesar, okay? Close second, perhaps, in the mind of some, but it was Caesar Augustus uh, who directed them to go to Bethlehem because of the census that he took of the Roman world. What song did the angels sing? None. The angels said glory to God in the highest. They did not sing it. It says they said it. Okay, we, we have a hymn and all that and we sing glory to God in the highest and so on. But it says the angels said glory to God in the highest. So again, read, read Matthew and Luke and you shall see. The baby Jesus was born in who knows? We don't know where he was born. We know that they placed him in a manger, which is like a cow trough. It's a feeding trough for animals. They placed him there because he had no room to lay his head, right? So... Uh, oh, sorry, there was no uh, uh, room in the inn. And in, we, there are a number of ways to understand what that could have been. Um, but the, we don't know where he was born specifically. We just know that they put him in a manger, almost like... Um, like a little crib, okay, while he was whatever crying or, or whatever he was doing. Okay, so the answer is, who knows? We don't know where specifically Jesus was born. Many theories, but we don't know. What animals were present at Jesus' birth? None. There's no mention of any animals present at Jesus' birth. All we know that there are shepherds who are watching their flocks by night. That's all. We don't know about donkeys, camels. We, don't, we create little pretty Christmas cards, but they, read the Bible and you'll see only one animal is mentioned, and it's only the shepherds watching their sheep. 
and, and they're distracted and they go and see that Jesus is born. So no animals mentioned at the presence, uh, uh, at the birth of Jesus. Okay, who saw the star over Bethlehem? The answer is none of the above. You say, what? The three kings saw the wise men. There, who said there were three? Bible doesn't say there are three. The Bible says that the wise men followed the star. It doesn't say there were three kings. That's an old hymn. We three kings of Orient are. Do you know that hymn? Like Christmas Carol? So we, we, we say that there's three, but that is not in the Bible. It was likely a caravan. There's probably 20 to 30 of these guys if they came from Babylon and they were these Magi from the east. It probably was not three, but of course we have three in our tradition, so the answer is none of the above, okay? Uh, question number eight, what did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? None of the above, okay? We think, of, we think there was an innkeeper. Where's the innkeeper in the Bible? Nowhere. Okay, in, no room in the inn. The word for inn is the same word that we use for the upper room uh, in the book of Acts. It's possible, again, it's conjecture, but it's possible Jesus was born in some type of a house. And back, in, back there, you had two floors. Uh, the inn was um, uh, the upper floor. And the lower floor was where they put the animals at night sometimes to keep uh, predators away from them or to keep them from being stolen. Sometimes they would put them in there. And so there was no room in the inn, the upper room. And so Jesus may have been born in that lower room. We don't know. It's conjecture. At least we know they put him in a manger. Maybe there were animals there. Maybe there weren't. We simply don't know. So the answer is none of the above. And question number nine, when did the wise, uh, wise men... Uh, um, when did the wise men bring, not brought, when did the wise men bring their gifts to Jesus? Oh, sorry. When the wise men brought their gifts to Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm reading my own thing wrong. They found him in a house. They were not there the night that Jesus was born. Read, your, read Matthew and Luke carefully. The wise men were not there the night that Jesus was born. They were not present that night, okay? So that's 